Hello, and welcome to our podcast where the dark corners are. Hello, hello. I am Bina, and I am your Dark Travels hostess. Tonight, we have something we haven't had in a long, long time. Road trip with the panda. Yeah, it has been a minute. Yeah, just, just, us, just two. us two. Yeah. Because you don't like me. Well, that's not accurate. Well, the internet doesn't like me about that. The internet? The internet. Oh, she may be kind, but she may be cruel. <laughs> She's a giver and a taker? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, things are what they are. Now, tonight, you are driving. You're the, you know, taking us on a road trip. You don't like my driving, though. No. I think you drive dangerously even more when I'm in the car, like on purpose. I don't, I don't though. That's the thing. No. I, I dri- The person who taught me to drive were two people. And Whoa. The one with the most excellent record was me. Is it, though? Yeah, it is. Is that why I got all those pretty tickets? Mm. <laughs> mm. I think if we looked, your other parent. <laughs> the other 50%er? Uh, has more. Oh, I don't know. Seatbelts. Oh, those aren't. Those are suggested. No. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta live by all the guidelines. I do my best. How about that? Okay. That's all that matters, right? In the end, that's all that matters. I do sure. my best and I, I'm not hitting as much I haven't hit anybody else. How about that? Else? Yeah. Did you hit oh oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> the, the hole in the ground. <laughs> Look out for that dip. What dip? <laughs> Bump. Okay. So yeah. Yeah, anyway, so I'm driving. <laughs> so there I was driving. <laughs> Seatbelt on. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about murders. Right. Yeah, but uh, today we're going to talk about the BTK killer. BTK. What does that mean? Bound, tie, and kill. Bound? Or bind. Bind? Bind. Torture? Torture. Yeah, torture. I got it all fucked up. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? I didn't know he doesn't even matter. This guy is a piece of shit, so he doesn't even deserve his name because he made the name up himself. So Oh, he, get, he so nicknamed himself. Every, every time we give credit to it, that we're just kind of feeling it. It's like kind of like Voldemort uh-huh. kind of thing. Giving him power. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, either way, bind, torture, and kill. Kill him. Okay. But he's also known as the Strangler, so that makes more sense to call him the Strangler, but he's also known as the Killer. Okay, so. Not to get uh, mixed up with the BTS group. What or, is that? Or is it BTS? Yeah, the little Korean pop group. Oh. Same, starts with BT, and I think it's S. No? Never heard of them? Mm-hmm. International superstars. I think I've seen them. I think they visited the White House not too long ago. I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, yes, the BTK killer, also known as Dennis Rader, he was born on March ninth of nineteen forty-five to Dorothy and William Rader. He was the one of four sons, and they grew up in Wichita, Kansas. Okay. Um. So 
most of the information they have is based off of him because all his victims, all his victims except for one died. So he has to recollect and he tells, and he was very forthcoming with information at the end of the story. So everything kind of comes from him and he, and he was open with investigators, detectives, reporters after he was discovered and caught. So, so he cooperated. He was a pretty open book. Okay. So he, st- he, so he had stated that both his parents used to work long hours and paid very little attention to him and his brothers at home. And Raider would describe the feeling of being ignored by his mother in particular and resented her for it. So, Unlike you, who has a loving mother. Yeah. And pays way <laughs> too much attention to you. <laughs> Unfortunately, so yeah, he, he doesn't necessarily blame the whole thing on her, he, but he kind of does. So he blames his childhood for being fucked up. So he, so from a young age, Raider was into t- sadistic sexual fantasies about torturing trapped and helpless women. He would practice torturing and killing and hanging small animals. He would act out in sexual fantasies of for voyeurism, autoerotic uh, asphyxiation, and cross-dressing. He even often spied on female m- neighbors while dressed in women's clothing, including women's underwear that he would have on that he stole. Like he would go to the neighbor's house and steal it? He would steal women's underwear and wear it. So in the 50s, are we talking, was he breaking into people's houses or were we taking it from clotheslines? I mean, 50s, I mean, I'm sure there's multiple ways. I'm assuming he's breaking into houses because that's his MMO. His MO was he would break into houses quite frequently when he went to murder somebody. Well, we're so. talking, what, 50s and 60s where people were really locking their doors back then? So, yeah, he was born in 45, and he starts developing. He's 15 at 1960, so. Yeah. So the sixties, seventies, he's I mean right. and the older he gets to, you know, the harder it gets to control those urges he has. So but either way, yeah, he would but he would <laughs> take pictures of himself wearing women's clothes and a female mask while bound. <laughs> yeah. And the raider kept bound. Who bounded him? Himself. Because he, he would learn he'd learn to tie himself up and auto six auto you know, you choke yourself while you're uh what's the best way to put that? Choke himself, like you know, auto asphyxiation is auto erotic asphyxiation. He gets off on uh-huh. choking, being choked, choked and bound, almost and dying. Yeah. Okay. So, so this guy's really. Yeah, he's into it. Is his brother brothers got uh, the same problems? You know, what? I didn't look up the brothers. Brothers never really come into play. No one who's just all solo act, as far as I know. I never saw any reports of his brothers being the same way, but I'm sure. I'm sure he wasn't the only fucked up cupcake in that batch. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to start using that term, fucked up cupcake in that batch. <laughs> There's okay. usually one that's just kind of, you know, not cooked all the way. Well, or both of my children were perfect. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but however, so he kept this, all his sexual habits well hidden, and he, would, he was widely regarded in his community as normal, polite, and well-mannered. Well, they usually are. <laughs> yeah, how do, I mean, not. how do you think... Right, exactly. How do you think they get people to trust them? Well, that's the thing. Is like, he is not... I mean, you see pictures of him. I mean, I only saw pictures of him when he was older, really, when he's in the courtroom stuff. He's not like a handsome... I mean, this is older, so it's hard to, harder to be handsome. Isn't he, like, bald? Yeah, he's bald. I just... I didn't really think what's his face was all that good looking, but again, oh, it was uh, a different Dun- Bundy. Yeah, Bundy. Yeah, Bundy was ugly. I don't know what 
It was confidence. And confidence must be the, the drive. Right. But, like. Like, he's got to sell it good. Right. He's like, I I think that's what it is. I think, to me, it is is the killers and whoever they are, they know they have the power to end your life. So they have that much power over you. And so they use that fuel to boost their ego. And that's what makes them stand taller and feel bigger than everybody else. Right. Like, I can kill you at any time. Yeah. Like, I can end your life because I can. One of these days, I'm going to actually look up the statistic of how many serial killers you actually come in contact with. I think, they did, I think they did that. And it's like a high number. It's still, yeah, it's a number that you don't feel comfortable with, but it's a number that you don't ever really think about. It's just weird. I'll have to look that up. So anyway, after high school, he served in the United States Air Force from 1966 to 1970, and then he moved back to Wichita and married Paula Dietz on May 22, 1971, and they had two children, Carrie and Brian. He attended Butler County Community College, earning his associate degree in electronics. He enrolled in Wichita State University in 1979 with a Bachelor of Science degree majoring in Administration of Justice. And he would even get a job as an ADT installer. You know, those uh, at home. He gets a degree, gets some serious degrees, and then he becomes a security and installment guy? Well, I think I think you actually have to be, because I think ADT is pretty high up there. Okay. Your home installers, your home security. But it's also means to get into people's house, so that's probably. Well, right. It's also the seventies and becoming the eighties, so it's a little. <laughs> I don't know. I think every I think every decade before the nineties, even the nineties, it was just like an open door policy to a lot of things. Mm. In my opinion, except for maybe like the ghetto and stuff. <laughs> 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 you know. In the ghetto. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just saying. I think people, a lot of people didn't take. Extra precaution. That's why there were so many serial killers. You know, I actually kind of have a theory about that. And I honestly think we had a surge in the late 60s and 70s, early 80s. And I really think it's associated with World War II. The parent, the dad comes back post-traumatic stress, Mm -hmm. takes it out on the kids, and, you know... Just fucks right. up that generation. Well, I, th- I think that is a thing. It, it 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 affects a human being to the point to where it actually becomes part of their gen. I want to say gen- that's kind of going far, but genetic code to right. a point. Exactly. Yes. And then it passes that gene on to the si- to the um, to the offspring. Correct. Which in, in which just happens to be a dominant one. Right. Which is inherently bad because negative. Spreads. I mean, that's my theory. I I don't have any validation to that. But I would be curious to know if they're the, these fathers who fathered the serial killers mm-hmm. were um, soldiers in World War II. Not to say that every soldier was that, though. No, 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 no. no. Correct. Right. No. But I think exactly the trauma was handed down. And, I mean, the whole idea of post or dealing with post-traumatic stress now is a thing that's happening. But we're talking World War II was, what, 60 years ago? 80 years ago, 80 years ago, mm-hmm. and I, that was not a word. In fact, in, uh, I remember Patton, you know, he smacked a soldier because he couldn't stop, I think, shaking or he was so stressed out. He was hospitalized. Yeah. And Patton smacked him and he got smacked down himself. That dude was crazy. Yes. I mean, he got the job done. Correct, but I mean, he was a bit at a cost. Yeah. 
But he wanted, you know. He wanted to make a name for himself, too. So it wasn't necessarily in the name of America. It was in the name of Patton. But, I mean, we're getting sidetracked. Yeah, sidetracked. Sorry, sorry. Different podcast. Different podcast, eh? Fucking Patton. Anyway, so so he got his degree in 79, so we're going to back up to 74. Okay. So January 15th, 1974, this is the first initial victims of the BTK killer. Whereas Joseph Otero, age 38, Julie Otero, age 33, their parents, their husband and wife, Joseph Otero Jr., age 9, and Josephine Otero, age 11. So he took on a whole family. Correct. God damn. So the, their bodies, those four bodies, were discovered by the family's three older children who had been at school at the time of the killings. The 15-year-old at the time, Charlie Otero, quoted in a recent interview, my dad's tongue was halfway bit off, he had a belt around his neck, my mom was beaten. Her nails were busted up. They were cold, and we tried to get the ligatures. Um, so it's like, um, like the, the the ropes and stuff mm-hmm. undone. The belt undone, and then I realized this was nothing. This was for nothing. And then I had to get my brother and sister out of the house. That is so sad. Yeah, f- just I mean, three kids not only your parents dead, but. Two other siblings that are younger than you. I mean, three of you. the bulk of your family's gone. But, mm-hmm. I mean, to see your parents in that condition. So, what hap- what, I, what um, Reader had stated when he was talking about the case. So, by the way, there, you can go to, there's plenty of websites that actually keep, it's like, it's almost like when we did uh, Dilatov Pass. Mm-hmm. There's websites, like, dedicated to the BTK killer. I mean, I'm sure there's, like, other websites dedicated to these guys with all the information. And they, a lot of the websites keep transcripts of the court cases. Okay. So it's, you can go online, watch it, and it's on videos and everything. I mean, because when this happens, he confesses. It's pretty recent. So but his, what his statement was, he entered the house, and by the time he entered the house, he did not realize he had, he had not thought through this murder fully. He was still surprised that Joseph, the father, was still home, and Raider had to quickly take control of the situation by using a gun. He told the family that he was a wanted criminal and he needed food, money, and a car. Raider then ordered the family to lie face down on the ground, and he put a bag over Joseph Otero. And in order to kill Mr. Otero, he had put a cord around his neck and that, and suffocated. He then tried to manually strangle Julie Otero, the wife, and his first attempt failed, and she passed out, and then she quickly came back to life. The second attempt killed her. Joseph Otero Jr. was the next one to die. Raider said he had suffocated and strangled and strangulated him, strangled him. And he pulled up a chair and watched him fully die. So basically made sure he was dead and just watched him until basically the color. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is just the beginning. Okay. Well, it's it one of the children. So Josephine was the last one to die. Raider forced her down into the basement and put a noose around her neck and told her she would be joining them in heaven. Raider hung her from a pipe in the basement. He left her partially undressed and then masturbated all over her legs, leaving semen on the pipe. Afterwards, Raider cleaned up and took some belongings and remembrances. He, d- he took the family car and drove it to a parking lot and left the car there and threw the keys on the roof of the store. Raider wrote a letter that had been stashed inside an engineering book in the Wichita Public Library in October of the same year, 1974, which described in detail the killing of the Otero family of January of that year. Why? To brag? <laughs> to yeah, essentially, this guy. Fucking. Fuck. So yeah, I mean, as we get into more killings, but he 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 wants credit for this. Like, he he's he's basically proud of it, and he just 
It just, it just it, it gets him going. This is disgusting. Just a few months after the Rotero's murder, Catherine Bright was murdered on April 4th in 1974, same year. Raider had seen her before entering her home and considered her as one of his quote-unquote projects. The day he broke into her home from the porch door and hid in the bedroom, around 2 p.m., she arrived home, but with her brother Kevin, who was 19 years old at the time, which Raider was not expecting. Raider came rushing out of the room with a gun, pointing straight at them. He told them the same story that he was a wanted criminal and needed a car, food, and money. He's on the way to New York. He forced the two into the bedroom and ordered Kevin to tie his sister's hands and feet. He then took Kevin into the other room and tried to tie him as well, but was not successful. Kevin got in a fight with Raider, getting very close to taking the gun from him, but Raider was unable to get a, or was able to get a good hold on the gun and shot Kevin in the head twice. It was like one in the face and one to like... The head, but like, like a graze. Yeah, it was. It's a miracle that this dude fucking got where he got it. Because <laughs> after he went back to, to to Catherine to finish his quote unquote project, Catherine also put a big fight against Raider as he tried to strangle her. He realized that strangling was not going to work, so he started stabbing her in the abdomen multiple times. While that was happening, Kevin was able to escape. He ran a few blocks to his car and drove off in search of help. Sadly, even after multiple emergency surgeries and blood transfusions, Catherine Bright died at the age of 21. Her brother, Kevin, was in critical condition, but he did survive. Is he the only survivor? He is the, the sur- only survivor. Oh. So, all these attacks, he's the only one who survived. I mean, the dude's, the dude's like, really lucky. So, I mean, he got shot twice in the face. Did he have a, just to clarify, did he have 10 victims or did he have 10 attacks? There was ten victim, ten murder victims in total. Okay, but only one survivor. So ten, and then one survivor. Okay. Uh, his next victim was twenty-six-year-old Shirley Relford. On March seventeenth of nineteen seventy-seven, so what three years later, BTK or Reader drove to a neighborhood in Linwood, which is the by in Chitwood or sorry Wichita, and he parked his car at a grocery store. At the time, he was stalking a woman who he had spotted at a bar, and after watching his targets, quote unquote house for a while, he finally picked up the nerve to go knock on her front door. However, nobody was home at that time. By that point, he was so keyed up and excited to th- about the prospect of attacking a new victim that he decided to troll around the area for someone else. Some unfortunate soul. Mm-hmm. BTK. Was walking along, he came across Shirley Redford's young son, Steve, who was coming back from a nearby grocery store. Upon meeting him, Raider introduced a photograph of his own wife and son and asked the boy if he knew where they were. During the short exchange, Steve politely told Raider that he did not know who they were and continued on his way home. At that point, Raider continued to watch the young boy till he saw him enter his own house. Raider approached the house and knocked on the door, and Steve and his brother opened the door, and Raider continued to state that he was a detective looking for these people in the photograph. As soon as Raider spotted his opportunity, he forced his way into the house and showed the handgun to the children. There were three children all together, Steve, his brother, and his other brother. Might be his sister. I didn't write that part down. There were three children. Okay. <laughs> Once inside, Raider quickly pulled down the blinds to turn off the television. At that stage, the, chil- the children's mother, Shirley, came out of her bedroom and was shocked to find a strange man standing in her living room. Although Raider attempted to tie the three children up, he soon realized that it was proving too difficult. As a result, he put them in the bathroom with some toys and blankets to prevent the children from escaping, and he tied the door handle shut with a rope and pushed one of the beds up against the bathroom door. While Raider was holding Shirley at gunpoint, he explained to her that he had a problem with sexual fantasies and that he was going to tie her up. He also stated that he had done it before. 
Once the kids were locked away, he tied Shirley to the bed and put a plastic bag over her head and then strangled her to death using a rope. During his court confession in 2005, spoilers, he recalled how the three children were shouting and banging on the bathroom door while the crime was taking place. Following the murder, Raider cleaned up his quote-unquote tools and he left the house as quickly as possible and went, walked back to his car at Dylan's parking lot at the grocery store and the children escaped the bathroom some four minutes later. Steve tried desperately to untie his mother, but it was way too late, and Shirley was dead, and the BTK had vanished into thin air. Those poor children. Right next in the next room while your mom's fucking getting strained. Yeah. You know, I really hope that these kids, the, the, the kids that open the door, they don't think it's their fault, because it wasn't. I mean, I think I would internalize it, but it was n- never their fault, and I really hope they don't do that. So, that same year, in December 1977, Raider became obsessed with stalking 25-year-old Nancy Fox. On December 8th, he cut the phone line and then broke into her modest duplex from the back door. He waited for her to get home back from her job at a jewelry store. Since she lived alone, he had no trouble surprising her in the kitchen at gunpoint. He told her that he had a sexual issue, and in order to get rid of of that issue, he had to tie her up and rape her. After being allowed to partly disrobe herself in the bathroom, he ordered her into the bathroom, ad- sorry, bedroom, and he tied her up and undressed himself. He then started to strangle her. As he strangled her, he confessed to her who he really was and what he had done in his past. Her body was found later with some semen on the nightgown that was next to her. On the following day, on his way to work for the ADT alarm company, he called the local police department and said, Yes, you will find a home homicide at A43 South Perishing, Nancy Fox. That is correct. And then left the receiver dangling. The police rushed through the house and found Nancy's body strangled to death. The police tried to replay the recording of his voice many times, but never found a match. But did they find the telephone booth? Because they would have found fingerprints. Everywhere he goes, he wipes down his fingerprints. Okay. So... So he's not actually raping them. He's jacking off to them. He's, yeah, he's still getting off. But, I mean, he didn't do that to Catherine. But then again, he was also under a lot more pressure. Well, the kids were banging on the door. Well, yeah, that's Shirley. So, I'm sorry. But Catherine was the one with the brother. Oh, right, right, right. But he was under a lot more pressure and didn't have time. And he also changed the mode by stabbing her instead of strangling her because he couldn't. She must have done some. Well, strangling takes time. You know, mm-hmm. in the movies, it's like two seconds and they're dead. Right. No, 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 no. You, a person. And then you have to make sure she's dead. Right. A person without oxygen, I think three minutes minimum. So, yeah, the next year, early 1978, so after he had just killed Nancy that December, uh, Raider, Raider sent a sarcastic poem called Shirley Locks to the Wichita Eagle newspaper, which is a local paper. And after the poem was a serious letter to the local news with him stating BTA, BTK again taking responsibility for the past seven homicides. So this is where he establishes that he's the guy. Well, they're fucking gloating. And the next letter was found was mocking the murder of Nancy Fox entitled Oh, Death to Nancy, which was a mimic of the song Oh, Death, which I have not heard before. And it, must, it was just like a pop song from that time. Oh, Death. So I don't know what that song is. I don't know either. I've never heard of that. But, I mean, he's sadistic enough to make a fucking song. A parody of a song. He's not fucking... This is nothing but pure fucking evil. Absolute evil. That's why I I hate these stories because it's like there's no... The tools we have today, we have now because of things like this. You know what I'm saying? Right. So... I mean, all these serial killers, you know, leave us 
unsafe. It just makes no sense. Either way, let's get forward to 1985, so seven years later. Did he explain why there was a gap? I think he just had his fix. It just wasn't, they called, you know, he think he wanted to lay low after he put that stuff out, stating that he took those kills. He killed seven people in the span of a year, or I'm sorry. Three years, I think. Three years. So, so maybe he was trying to lay low, keep keep it down. Yeah, three years, seven victims, and you know, probably probably figured that was a smart idea not to keep going for a while. Right. So in '85, seven years later, he was heavily involved in this church, and once his son became older, he became the leader in the Boy Scouts. Jesus fucking Christ. So at this time, he's 40 years old, and he said he had planned on killing again. His next victim was 53-year-old Maureen Hedge. She was a widow and described as a kind and gentle woman. Hedge, reader, Hedge and Reader lived on the same block for over 30 years in an area of parks. It's called Park City. On the 27th of 1985, sorry, April 27, 1985, Reader was in the middle of a Boy Scout meeting when he stated that he had a headache and needed to leave to get medicine. He left and walked to his car that was near a bowling alley. He went inside and bought a beer. He swished the beer in his mouth and spit it out, purposely spilling some on his clothing, giving onlookers the illusion that he had been drinking. He called a cab, pretending to be drunk, and told the driver to take him back to Park City. Once he got to Hedge's house, he saw her and assumed she was home. Well, Was he stalking her prior? Or was this a random selection? I'm assuming he was stalking because he he's very... He told the taxi driver where to go. Right, so he knows where she's at. So, so they've been, Well, they've been on the seven block for 30 years, so he knows everything about her. Okay, well, maybe he just said, tag, you're it. Right. So, I mean, he knew, he already knows that she's a widow, she's alone. I mean, no one's going to miss her at this point. Whoa. That's his thinking. That's his thinking. Okay. okay. I'm not saying that. <laughs> he cut the phone line like last time and quietly opened the back door to sneak in. He realized no one was home and waited until her bedroom until he saw a car pull up into her driveway. Reen Hedge and another man walked into the house. Reader waited in the bedroom to the cl- bedroom closet until 1 a.m. so that the man was gone and Marine had gone to sleep. Reader came out of the hiding and turned on the bathroom light and jumped on top of Marine, choking her to death. Once he, she had died, he dragged her body outside into the trunk of her car, drove the, to the church that he went to, and he was a trusted member. And So since because he was a trusted member, he had the keys to the building. He put black plastic cover over the window so no one could look inside, and dragged her body into the basement of the church. He then photographed the body in multiple different poses before putting her body back in the trunk of the car and taking off. He dumped the body in a ditch along a dirt road not far from their home in Park City. What? I mean, he's like upping everything here. Yeah. And what is his wife thinking? You're just a security installer. Where the fuck are you at 1 o'clock in the morning? Well, remember he's at the Boy Scout meeting and then he got drunk. So now he has now that oh I was drunk I wandered trying to get home. Bullshit. I mean I didn't look at I didn't look at her pictures so she might be ugly too though. This is nasty. Well, he didn't kill her. That's good. <laughs> Something. Bundy didn't kill his girlfriend. The one who sold him out. Smart girl. Mm-mm. Okay. September <laughs> <laughs> of nineteen eighty six. Vicky. We're just going to call her Vicky, because I can't say this last name. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to totally butcher it. Sorry, Vicky. Sorry. Age 28 at the time, and a mother of two had caught Reader's eye. She would walk by. He would walk by her house during the day and listen to her play the piano. He thought this murder out and calling it his PJ project. 
PJ? What does that stand for? Mm, I don't know. I didn't look it up that much. He had different. He had different project names for everyone. Like pet names. Kinda, yeah. By 10 a.m. on September 16th, Raider dressed up as a telephone repairman and knocked on Vicky's door. She let him into her home, thinking he was going to fix the phone line, which he had cut. And then he told her he was going to tie her up. At gunpoint, he forced her into the bedroom and tied her up, and then she gave him fight, causing cuts and scratches on Reader. He got a rope and stopped her fighting by choking her to death. After that, he took photos of the body in different positions, then left, stealing Vicky's car. Soon after that, Bill, the husband, said that he saw his own car going the opposite direction of the house but could not identify the driver. When he arrived home, he saw his two-year-old son by himself in the living room. He searched the house for his wife and soon found her on the floor behind the bed in their bedroom. Vicky was rushed to the hospital but it was pronounced de- dead after a few hours. As this was happening, Reader was disposing of the evidence and parked their car just a few blocks away from the home and went to his own home and changed his clothes. His wife has to know something is up. I mean, you can just see we, we got to go work. I don't. I mean, th- I'm telling you, this is a different time. So, a lot of these people. Yes. So people, a lot of people grew grew up with the knowledge or the idea of this home set still. Yes. Just to trust your husband because he's got to go do something. No. 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 Well, You're going yeah. where? Where are you going to be? Okay, I'm going <laughs> to call. It's like a freaking sleepover when you were young. Whose house you're going to? That's right. And <laughs> need a parent's name and number. <laughs> so between then, it takes about five years to the next victim. So in 1991, Raider found an older woman to be vul- found older women to be more vulnerable from past experiences with younger women. Raider found an older woman who was 62 and lived on her own, named Dolores Davis. Davis lived a mile and a half away from Raider, which where he noticed her at home. He had a very well thought out plan to get what would be his last victim. He was going camping with the Boy Scouts over the weekend. On January 19, 1991, he came up with an excuse to slip away from one of the scout meetings. He drove his car to his parents' house to change out of his scout uniform into his quote-unquote hit clothes. He then drove to the church in Park City to park his car, finish his plan out on foot. Once he got to the to Davis's house, he waited outside until he saw that she went. To, she was asleep. He broke the glass door at the back of the house with a cement block that he had found. Dolores came out of her bedroom and found Raider. He used the same line as he had almost every time, saying he needed money, a car, food, and that he was going to tie her up. He tied her up in the bedroom and strangled her to death. Raider took the body outside, put her in the trunk of her own car, and drove to a lake near Park City and hid the body in evidence under some trees. He drove the car back to to Davis's house, wiped it down for fingerprints, then left to go back to the church, where he went back and he hid the he went back to where he hid the body, put it in his trunk, and dumped the body under a bridge in, in a different county. Raider then went somewhere to change back into his scout uniform. Probably went back to his parents' house to change back into his scout uniform and return back to camp. The following evening, he went back to where he left the body and took photographs of it. Just unbelievably fucking evil. He took time out of his out of his. I don't know. It's like oh, I'm gonna hang out with these kids and. Other scouts, <laughs> leaders. And I'm going to be killing in the I'm process. I'm going to go kill this whole lady and I'll be right back. Jesus fucking. I just, there aren't any words. Yeah, what a guy. <laughs> okay. And his wife wasn't suspicious at all. Mm. I mean, no. I, people just live in denial too, though. Like, just, wow. Well, yeah, that's a real thing. 
you know, women look the other way when they're molesting their kids. Women look the other way when they're, you know, meeting prostitutes. The husbands are meeting prostitutes just for that comfort. It's, it's sad. It's sick. It's just say they have someone in their life. Or someone that provides. Mm-hmm. So from 91 to 2004. This is almost three motherfucking decades. Yes. Literally three three decades from the Otero murder. So the 30th anniversary is coming up. So, 2000, so 91, 2004, BTK, or Reader, whatever you want to call him, TTC, stayed in hiding, and no one heard from him over 10 years. But on the 30th anniversary of the Otero murder, the local newspaper, the Wichita Eagle newspaper, ran an article about the crime in BTK. A book by Robert Beatty came out about the nightmare that haunted Wichita, Kansas, a.k.a. BTK. This book and article angered Raider because he thought they were trying to tell his own story. So on March 17, 2004, Raider mailed a letter to the, to the newspaper from an undercover name of Bill Thomas Kilman, BTK. The envelope had three photocopy pictures of the ones he took of Vicky and her driver's license and signed it with the same signature that had been used in the previous letters. The letter was sent to the FBI and the investigation on BTK had started again. Raider sent another letter on May 5, 2004 to the local TV station. It was a word puzzle that contained a deeper meaning with letters and numbers. On June 9th of 2004, he left a package taped to a sign in the middle of a city which had a gruesome description of the Otero murders and a sketch of a dead body hanging by a rope. He titled the sketch, The Sexual Thrill Is My Bill. On June 17th of 2004, there was another package labeled BTK that was found at the Wichita Public Library. In this letter, he, found, he explained that time was running out for him and he wanted to wait for the right time for his next quote-unquote hit. Because he's getting fucking old. <laughs> he wants to glorify his disgusting deeds before he gets too old and continue. Yeah. He's not done. He's young and spry. And I have to say, I'm shocked that 30 years, three decades, and the FBI still hadn't caught him. Well, I mean, they, like, I, like I stated before, they didn't have... They didn't know who it was. They had their suspects weren't were all dead ends. It was a cold case by this point. They had nothing to go off of. And there was no connection to any of these women. I don't know. I just I find it very hard because I mean the man didn't mop up the motherfucking floors. I mean this is why he probably strangled them because there's no blood. You understand? Right. The only one he stabbed was and he left her there. Right. He didn't pack her in anybody's trunk. He didn't have time. No, not only that, but I mean, the blood would have left in her, in his trunk, would have, you know, got his ass down the line because in the 70s, DNA was not a thing. But I mean, he methodically thought about how strangling these people were actually the best option to prevent the blood mm-hmm. splatter, you know. And, and, and so that's what I think. He had what he called a, a hit kit, he would call it. And it was his own sort of ropes and bindings that he would take with him to these killings. Right. So he would use these items. I mean, he he left some items behind, like some of like the Orteras. He had they had like their own belts and stuff around around them and stuff. So he left those behind. But he cleaned his own he cleaned his own mess. I mean, it's pretty brazen to hit a family of four. Right. Well, he he didn't know that the the husband yeah, was going to be, be home, there. but. But, I mean, he was probably using the kids as a point of vulnerability for her to cooperate. If you don't do what I say, I'm going to kill your children. Right. And, I mean, 
he has a gun, and he probably is his first one, so he probably did it a little sloppier because he probably didn't cover well, his face or anything. Correct. And then, you know, once you see his face, you got to die. That would be the idea. Yeah. Okay. All right, so we're in 2024, or I'm sorry, we're in 2004. 2004 still. And then the fifth item was dropped by Raider on October 22nd of 2004 when it was found by a UPS driver. There was a collage of children with bindings drawn across their bodies and faces inside the manila envelope. It also contained an autobiography that listed false details about BTK. For example, the year he was born, the area that he lived in, to mislead the police officers. Just, But just eight days after Raider became the president of the church council at the at his church, there was a special K-box with markings BTK and BOMB in the back of a pickup truck. Inside the box, information on his projects that he had watched or stalked along with even more misleading information. Also inside the box was a question asking if there was a floppy disk made, if it would be able to be traced back to the computer that he used to make it. Later, the police replied and said no, which was a lie. The next clue found was another was another cereal box discovered on January 25, 2005, after he sent directions to the local TV station on where to find the box. Inside the box was a doll with a rope around its neck and tied to a pipe, simulating the murder of Josephine Otero. The girl he hung. In the basement, yeah. The tenth drop was postcard, was a postcard that arrived on February 3rd of 2005, that was sent to the local TV station saying that he was going to send the floppy disk. So when the 11 drop was found 13 days later at the studio of the TV station, the police analyzed the floppy disk, which was drawn back to the, to the church under the name of Dennis. They looked up the church and found the name of the president, Dennis Rader. Good job, you. They drove past his home one day in an undercover vehicle and saw a familiar car from past security cameras, and it was Rader's black Jeep Cher- Cherokee. The police asked his daughter, Carrie, for a DNA sample, saying it was for a medical record. But in reality, the police were using it to match the semen found the past crime scenes left by BTK. And the Wichita Police Department found a match and finally solved the case 30 years after. And on February 25, 2005, the Wichita Police Department surrounded Raider's car after he ate lunch at work and led him to a police car, waiting police car in handcuffs. On the same day he was arrested, he was taken to interrogation room, where at first he did not talk, but soon opened up and gave every little detail possible. He had given a 30-hour confession. In his confession, he talked highly about his crimes, and it was evident that he was proud of what he'd done, and he liked the publicity that he had... Garnished for himself. Yeah. You know, these, these people, they were just going about their lives. They didn't deserve these fates. The women didn't deserve these fates. The children didn't deserve finding their parents dead. Yeah, no one should have to see a husband coming home, seeing a car that he thought was his, and only to find his his child in the in the house all alone. Well, right. So yeah, they search his house. They find they find everything. They find the original letters that he wrote, the victim's driver's license, photos that were taken, cutouts of newspaper articles. He just handed this shit over. An artwork that was found in the cabinet in his his, his own office. And his wife didn't find any of this? <laughs> you know, no. Well, so, you know, most almost all his friends friends and families were devastated that they didn't know he was BTK. And they said that anyone who knew him, they wouldn't have thought or suspected him to be, be being able to do any of those crimes. Yeah, so did Gacy's neighbors. <laughs> his wife, though, did an emergency divorce not long after his arrest. Mm. So, I mean. I don't know. <laughs> 
this guy had stuff that the cops found readily available. You didn't see it? Mm. Mm. She was Some, cooking. I don't know. Something's wrong <laughs> with this picture, y'all. He must have been really good what he was doing or something. I don't know. I don't know their love life, man. Okay. Uh, his case started on July twenty fifth, sorry, twenty seventh of two thousand five, for all ten victims that he had confessed to with every detail, with no remorse, pleading guilty. Family, the family members from each victim were able to talk to speak at the the uh, the court case. They told him how much they hate him for what they've done or he's done. They'll Good. never be able to see their loved ones again. And he was able, and Raider was able to give a statement where he talked about about thirty minutes, approximately thirty minutes. On what was supposed to be an apology, but he mainly just talked about himself. Just a selfish, insignificant killer. Uh, August 18th, 2005, the judge sentenced Reader to life in prison. He would not be eligible for parole until 2180. 2180? Yeah, so, so it was at it 100 was, and. It was 10 lifetimes, I believe. 100 and. From 2005 to 2180, it's 175 years. Okay. So is he still alive? He is still alive. He is, I believe, when I looked it up, he was 77. Let me double check those facts for you. Yeah, 77 years old. In the state of Wichita, well. Uh, He was in Kansas, but I think they moved him to a different county or a different area. Well, if he went to a federal prison, he he could be anywhere. Okay. Well, I mean, the guy, I mean, you see pictures, it's like, you know, because of Carrie, his daughter, you know, they caught him and stuff, but, you know, they didn't have a clue, I guess. I mean, there's pictures of them online where she, it's just normal pictures. You see pictures where she graduated from Kansas City State University, and he's standing right next to her. Right, it's a normal he, life. He looks like an average Joe. Right. Just looks like a, a dad. I mean, that one, he's kind of a serial killer look, but. <laughs> but I mean, he's just hanging out. Yeah, yeah, so. pl- plotting his next uh, unfortunate victim. Right. So, just a reminder for everybody: <laughs> we have a contest. What you simply need to do is send me an email at where the dark corners are, corners being plural at gmail dot com. Just saying, hey, love the podcast. My very first episode was whatever first episode you listened to. That got you hooked on our podcast. I think I'm going to go with a t-shirt with a podcast cover on it. You should do the, the pol- I like the drawing of the polar bear. Right. So that's that, really well done. Yes. The young lady who, a couple of months ago she did, if you're part of our Facebook page, you would have seen these. Um, she did a Serial Killers with Sierra. She did an amazing podcast cover with that. And then we have now, gotten a podcast cover uh with the polar bear done and it's a very nice very it's really real thought out it's really nice really detailed correct podcast cover and uh so i think i don't know i'm actually thinking about hitting her up for another a couple more actually one with kind of like a whole group and whole a group simply because when we get together and do the group ones it would be nice to have a podcast cover that reflects that mm-hmm. But either way, so I think we're going to do a T-shirt. We're going to send the prize would be a T-shirt to uh, the winner. All entries need to be in before 
I, I think we're, I'm pulling on September 9th. Is that? Because the, no, well, the, uh, the, um, the, c- the announcement will be made for mm-hmm. the September 9th. Is that a Thursday? I don't know. <laughs> uh, the 4th is a Sunday. So 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, a Friday. Or it's a, the it's a Friday. Yeah, okay. So all entries need to be in at least that Sunday, which that the, is that the, the September 4th is a Sunday. Okay, Sunday night, that. Sunday night. If I haven't said this before, Sunday night is the cutoff date because we usually record Sundays. So that would be the cutoff date for the announcement of the September 8th episode. All right. But speaking of Facebook, if you're curious or interested and would like to join, send me a request. Uh, it's called Where the Dark Corners Are on Facebook. But in the meantime, if you have a place that you would someday like to see where their dark corners are or have a specific serial killer you'd like us to cover, send me a request at where the dark corners are at gmail.com. Final thoughts, Panda. What was I going to say? Oh, you know, just if you, you have, if you're curious, like I said, go to certain websites on there. I mean, about the BTK guy, BTK killer. You can watch the trial. The trial was watched on t- television. I mean, you can see for yourself just the video and pictures of all the stuff he sent in with the packages. I mean, all the photos are there. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, they're not good because there's dead people on it. It's, it's terrible, but yes. it's it, it was interesting to see how much people wanted to expose him, quote-unquote expose, because it, it, it sucks because you, you want to know and be informed about these kind of things, but at the same time, he wins because... That's what he wanted to do he, in the first place. He wants that. He wants to be known. Glorified. Yeah. Self-glorification. He wants to go down knowing he was he was that guy. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. So, until next time, please remember, only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why we hope to meet you where the dark corners are. <laughs>